power on. Hey, everybody. Uh, opening this up real quick with. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Maybe it was Skynet or Legion or I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but the audio uh, on this episode, after I recorded it, I realized at points was incredibly choppy where the volume was, was having varying issues. Uh, I am looking into that. However, it is a fully recorded episode going over two hours. Uh, so it's not content that I want to, uh, you know, just like have to go and re-record because you know, that first recording, there's always some magic in that. And I think it's very listenable. So I'm going to let it stand as is, but just letting you know, yeah, the audio gets, gets a little choppy at points, just fair warning. Um, but then there's stretches where it's fine. So we'll, uh, I'll let you get to the show. We're going to talk some Terminator and we're going to have a good time. And there's going to be things that I think, even if you're not into movies that you might appreciate that comes out of this. So we'll discuss it here. And, uh, well, anyway, let's get to the show. Woo. Legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. the sword of Damocles, each moment tenuously and precariously hanging by the thread of uncertainty. What does it profit a man to sweat and groan for a future that may terminate in the atomic rubble of the next moment? Why build a brave new world atop an active volcano? Those are the words of Gerald Lorentz. And I don't think there are any words that better describe <laughs> or better fit the narrative of what we're about to discuss. And that is a sovereign top eight that I'm also going to include under the sovereign at the movies moniker. Um, but it's a sovereign top eight about the Terminator franchise. And before you say, wait a minute, there aren't even eight Terminator films. Au contraire. <laughs> I might cheat a little here, okay? But we are going to have a top eight, and they're all going to be relevant. And doing this episode was actually inspired by a conversation uh, happening in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group uh, by the brilliant people there. And the difference here with this uh, top eight about the Terminator franchise is this is an actual ranking. Most of the time when I do a Sovereign top eight, it's you know, well, okay, it's, it's, it's in the top eight. So they, they might as well all be number one. Um, this is not the case here. 
number one is going to be number one. Um, these are definitely ranked from least to best, you know, eight being the least number one being, uh, the absolute best, but there was some fun debate over what was the best in Terminator in the telegram group. Uh, of course, if you want to join that link is in the show notes. Uh, just all you gotta do is have a telegram account and boom, you hit that link and you're in. Of course, the Terminator franchise started in 1984. Uh, I was only three at the time. Um, a little bit of my, my personal history, uh, with the, ter- with, you know, the Terminator franchise. Uh, of course, it's also important to understand that, you know, this top eight that I'm doing, like might be the end of it might be the end of the story. Meaning, you know, Terminator's future <laughs> as ironic as that statement is <laughs> as, as punny, perhaps even as that is. Um, but, but, but Terminator's future, uh, of the, f- the future of the franchise is very much in debate. I mean, there's always somebody who's going to come around and say, Oh, yep, we're taking over Terminator. We're going to bring it back to the glory days and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, keep in mind, that James Cameron himself, who created the Terminator, uh, you know, they made the first movie, you know, kind of continued on the franchise of Terminator two, and then really walked away from it. But understand he's ultimately walked away from it entirely, even though he had some dealing with Terminator dark fate, which is the last, uh, film to get released. Was that in 2019? Um, but I mean, he said years ago, like back when Terminator Salvation came out in 2010, that yeah, the Terminator story has run its course. He's done. And it's important to note, I mean, that James Cameron is not one who's known for his sequels, uh, nor is the, you know, who you could argue that the biggest star of the Terminator, that being uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, hey, look, Linda Hamilton is the stuff, right? <laughs> just Let's just call it. But, you know, Arnold is certainly who people really, you know, associate the Terminator franchise with first and foremost, far more than anybody who's played John Connor, you know, whether that's, um, you know, Ed Furlong or Christian Bale or whoever. Okay. Um, you know, he, Arnold's really the person that, that associated with that. And Arnold is someone who's also not really known for his sequels. Of course, that has changed overall, uh, really once he got older than 50 and certainly once he got older than 60, he does sequels all the time now. Right. I mean, or, you know, he would do sequels. I mean, he hasn't, well, if he was making movies right now, who knows, but like he did, you know, multiple escape room movies, he did multiple expendables films, you know, and so on. And of course he'd be in basically every Terminator film, either as himself or some CGI version of himself. Now I will say this right out front. And this seemed to be a popular opinion in the Telegram group. For most people, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, is considered the ultimate Terminator film. Like, it's it's considered the best. It's even better than the original. You know, for many, it's better than the original. Um, and for most, certainly better than anything that came uh, after it. Terminator 2, easily one of the biggest films of all time. Uh, a true event film um, that just went beyond... Uh, I think anybody's expectations, even though the expectations were certainly high, I don't think people expected it to be remotely uh, as massive as it, as it was. And, and to this day really is. And it is a movie that still looks really, really good, even though it was pioneering um, with CGI. 
that said, to get into a bit of my history, you know, will Terminator 2 be my top pick? We'll see. <laughs> so um, Terminator 2 was the first film in the franchise that I saw. Uh, I did not see the first Terminator movie until years later, until I was, you know, basically a, a teenager. I mean, Terminator 2 came out in 1991. Again, the first Terminator came out in 84. So you have that kind of split, uh, you know, that, that much distance between the films, uh, interestingly. And obviously, like, you know, many 10-year-olds at the time, like I was, uh, it blew us away. I mean, <laughs> it was it was fucking brilliant, you know, and amazing. And I mean, because every kid, you know, just kind of imagined themselves with a couple things. Uh, perhaps the destiny of John Connor. We need to talk about destiny. That is an important theme of the Terminator franchise. Uh, and, you know, having this, you know, Terminator under your command, right? Who you could get to do basically anything. And that was always going to protect you no matter what. Um, obviously, that's a very attractive thing uh, to young people, right? Now, for me, the two big things that really drew me into Terminator as a teenager. You know, I mean, yeah, Terminator 2 was great, but, you know, even at the time I would say, well, yeah, that was awesome, but, and it was mind-blowing, but it's still not Star Trek or Star Wars. Like, like it's not that good. Um, what would really get, and, and I want to backpedal on that a little bit. I think something that, you know, why I didn't really dig Terminator initially, and maybe why I didn't go seeking out the first film and, and what have you, was because it did, it did ultimately, you know, have a bleak outlook on the future and young me, that wasn't me. You know, I was Gene Roddenberry, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> raised and fed, right. Uh, that, you know, the future is going to be amazing, blah, 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 you know, or Buck Rogers. Yeah. Okay. People might be naive in the future, but we're going to survive. We're going to make it. And it's going to be really, really great. Terminator was very much the antithesis to that which is impressive in and of itself that it is so dystopian. Not to say there weren't other dystopian, you know, kind of series. I mean, there were cyborg, um, you know, a lot of like the, the robot jocks movies. Uh, I mean, there were plenty of movies, I mean, even running man, even stuff that's, you know, Schwarzenegger was in, there were plenty of movies at the time that were dystopian, but dystopian films that were so popular were rare partly because I think you were coming out of the eighties, you know, and into the early nineties where, you know, you look around at least in the United States and maybe some other parts of the world. And you're just like, well, holy shit, everything's fucking great. We live, we're living in, you know, a high tech future paradise. This is, this is dynamite, right? Let me go to the mall. So it's impressive that it would be such a big hit, you know, in a time frame where, where, you know, life, I think for many people, you know, felt great, you know, at least on the surface, but it didn't really resonate with me there. Um, where it did resonate with me with Terminator came down to two things. Okay. So as a young person, um, and I've told this story before, I mean, as a young person, so I, you know, my dad, <laughs> he had, uh, just, just so much, you know, so many different, so many electronics, like he always had to have the latest gadget. And we're talking in the eighties and nineties when, you know, gadgets were gadgets, right? They weren't just all mini computers. Like they actually had different functions. You know, it was an exciting time as to where today it's boring um, because everything's just, you know, a processor, right? And heard, <laughs> uh, you know, an SOC inside of it. And I mean, even your light bulb, you know, none of this stuff is really exciting anymore. Um, 
But at the time, oh no, I mean, new formats, all these amazing, you know, new technologies were getting developed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and my dad would want to be on top of all of it. And my dad was also, you know, quite a literal genius. And he was often the person that, you know, his buddies or even say other people at, uh, you know, his career or whatever, they knew that he was brilliant. And so when something would go wrong with one of their new devices, they'd always take it to him to fix it, even though, you know, like he may have never seen uh, a laser disc player before or never seen, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the device happens to be. But he just understood the basic principles of the circuit board that he could fix anything. And so a lot of times he would uh, call upon his children or, you know, mainly me. I mean, I do have you know brothers and a sister, but um, he would call upon me because I, I don't know, whatever I had the, uh, the, the starry eyed fascination with, with all things tech at the time, again, back when it was exciting. And he'd say, you know, Brian, like we, we got to test this out before I send it back to my buddy. So, you know, go ahead, give it a shot. And this was an amazing time for me because this is why like our garage was filled with arcade games because he was repairing all of the arcade games, but he needed them to be put to the test. And so, you know, he didn't have the time for that, but guess who did, <laughs> you know, his single digits, slightly into double digits son at the time, you know, who, who just couldn't get enough. And so, um, I was always messing around with this stuff, but I share this to bring up a, a couple things. One is, and this is the part that I've told before. I used to connect a cassette deck as in an audio cassette, uh, an audio cassette deck to, uh, the aux on, you know, the aux out on, um, onto a VCR. And I would record cause everything, you know, just used RCA cables at the time, or at least that was the latest standard. And I would record songs right out of the movies because I mean, you know, you were lucky if you could even find soundtracks for films at the time they existed. Sure. Um, and when the CD revolution would really pick up, uh, like say in the mid nineties is when I, I think it really picked up. Um, you know, then a lot of soundtracks would end up coming out, but, and actually we, we can thank star Wars for that. Cause I, I think those re-releases of the special edition soundtracks, like soundtracks on CD were a thing, but that was a whole other animal that, that, that nobody was prepared for when, when the special editions came out in 97. Uh, but anyway, um, or even a Star Wars anthology set that came out just a couple of years previous uh, to coincide with the the, the final VHS release uh, of, of the original trilogy. So, you know, it was hard to get your hands on soundtracks. So I, I mean, it, just, it wasn't seen as a profitable thing at the time. So I would take it upon myself, you know, and I mean, we're, we're talking about like a eight-year-old, you know, to like 12-year-old kid <laughs> doing this and making his own mixtapes um, with you know, recording, you know, Joe Esposito's you're the best around from karate kid or, uh, you know, whatever song off of the Rocky films, um, or even like grabbing the theme off of Megaforce, uh, or getting the amazing music by Brad Feidel from, you know, Terminator yeah, from Terminator two specifically. I mean that, dun, 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 I mean, we all know it, right? Uh, so the music really hit me and, and I was a person who was, you know, who loved soundtracks because for me, soundtracks were a way of being a soundtrack. Yes. It's the soundtrack to the film that I saw that I enjoyed, but then it becomes the soundtrack for my life. When I go outside and I pretend to be all these varying either villainous or heroic characters, whatever I was fancying at the time. 
So my passion for soundtracks really came out of uh, wanting to emulate, you know, the great hero, the great heroic characters or the great characters in general, because a lot of times I was more into the villains than I was the heroes. But the point remains. And Brad, you know, Brad Fidel's or Fidel, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually say it. But anyway, Brad Fidel's music, you know, is, is just genius in, 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 the, in, in especially the first Terminator, which at the end of the day, I think is the better soundtrack overall. Um, but Terminator two certainly took it to great heights. Um, and I mean that, that wouldn't stop either. Like even Terminator three, I think Marco Beltrami's score in that is, uh, is incredibly underrated, but the music from Terminator, I mean, it was just, it was so damned good, you know, and then you even had guns and roses in it, right. And with, you know, in Terminator two with, you know, you could be mine. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, like the music drove me wild far more than even the movie, right? The other thing that that took me over the top was the arcade game of Terminator 2. And to a lesser extent, varying DOS games that would come out for Terminator. Um, and then also, of course, the Genesis classic, uh, you know, uh, Robocop versus Terminator, right? And the Genesis one specifically, because that was more based off of Frank Miller's comic book as compared to the NES or SNES versions. So really to, to this day, I think, Terminator 2, the arcade game, you know, with the, the rail shooter with the guns, you know, the whole thing, two player is, I think that's still one of the top arcade experiences ever made. Um, and it's amazing how many movie theaters will keep that game in operation to this day. Um, well, minus COVID, but to this day, uh, you know, that they would keep it in operation, partly because it is such a draw, such simplistic fun. Uh, and, and really gave the, you know, that, that kind of genre of the, you know, the, the gun game, uh, a real shot in the arm at the time. It's not like that was a new thing, but it was something that was incredibly fast paced, had a great look and had a great franchise behind it, quite frankly. And then also not just the game, but even the comic book by Frank Miller of, um, you know, Robocop versus Terminator that because comic books were, were totally the biggest thing in my life uh, at the time, all of that created this perfect storm of things that, wow, like Terminator's awesome, but really had nothing to do with the movie. I mean, yes, like all that comes out of the movie and the brilliance of the movie. And I recognize Termi the Terminator and Terminator two, both as instant classics, phenomenal films, you know, uh, top of their genre. I mean, just top films overall. Uh, you know, and are, and are going to stand up if they're not like in the AFI 100, they both should be without question. So just because I didn't exactly get it for the reasons that maybe other people got it when I was young, um, I certainly get it now and have gotten it for a long time. Like I, I really, really dig it. Uh, so th that's a bit of my history, you know, with the Terminator. I mean, as far as the present with, with Terminator, uh, I, you, I have used at varying points, uh, music from varying uh, 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 professional productions, <laughs> you know, say like Terminator, the Terminator franchise and whatever, uh, or even other, you know, I, I've used, uh, you know, musical cues from, from other movies. I mean, you know, I, I do it all the time out of respect. And the, ter the Terminator franchise might have the most representation in Sovereign Tech's decade history more than, than any other franchise as far as music that's been used. Um, I've used Terminator music 
at least three times uh, for, you know, for the intros uh, that I would do for, for Sovereign Tech. Um, in fact, a couple of the favorites that I have done over time uh, have, you know, have both been to, to, to Terminator music, whether people realized it or not. And I fully recognize that a lot of the, shall we say, the narrative of Sovereign Tech fits in very well with <laughs> what sounds like a person coming back in time and trying to warn everybody, hey, assholes, you don't know where this tech's going. It's going to lead to your doom. You might want to think twice. And there has been many a listener, you know, who, who has, has made that uh, uh, comparison with the narrative of the Terminator franchise. Uh, might have been called John Connor a few times. Uh, th- that's fine. I, I appreciate what you're saying. But, you know, anyway, you might think twice about calling me that after we go over, uh, after we talk about this. So I want to get into a ranking of the films themselves. But I think we need to have a broader discussion of the themes. And I don't mean the music as much as I'd love to have a broad discussion about that, about the themes of the narrative themes of the Terminator franchise. Now it's important to keep in mind that again, James Cameron, despite any possible influence with dark fate with Terminator, dark fate, James Cameron, uh, really only made the first two. And of course, yes, I mean, also on the personal level, I am well aware, I did not know about it until much later, but I am well aware that in the credits for the first Terminator film, Harlan Ellison gets a mention. That was not true when it appeared in theaters in 1984. That was true when it showed up everywhere else at home video, et cetera, after the fact. Uh, And that's because Harlan Ellison took James Cameron to court, you know, and basically said, Hey motherfuckers, you're copying, uh, you know, you're, you're infringing or infringing on my copyright. Um, you know, this is based off of my story, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I see as someone who was fortunate enough to be friends with Harlan Ellison, um, I see where he's coming from in thinking that they stole his idea. I don't think James Cameron stole his idea though. Okay. Uh, I never had the balls to tell him that, <laughs> but, but you, you got to understand what Harlan would do when you'd say shit like that. Um, and obviously I don't agree with IP, um, but, and, and laws around it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that happened. I think this was James Cameron's, uh, original idea. Um, I don't think it's the first idea that he wanted to run with. I think James Cameron's initial ideas really had something to do with star Wars. Um, but James Cameron certainly, you know, speaking of star Wars, James Cameron certainly seems to be cut from a similar cloth to a George Lucas as he is someone that very intuitively understands. Uh, he understands I'm going to, I'm going to coin this term. I don't know if this is a real term or not. Primal storytelling. Okay. Like storytelling as it's been done since the days of Homer or before. And I don't mean do George Lucas understands classical storytelling, right? Like he always talks about how the original star Wars trilogy was, you know, a traditional Roman epic, right? We're in the middle, everything's dark and blah, blah, blah. But the other thing that George Lucas really understood was the lived in universe. Now, James Cameron understood this concept as well. And in fact, he's been on, he's been interviewed in the past where he's talked about that, where he's, where like he saw a new hope and he said, ah, shit. It's like, 
George Lucas beat us to it. <laughs> you know, everybody was wanting to tell that story. And I think it was a story that a lot of filmmakers saw possible really after Stanley Kubrick did 2001, right? Because that importance of the lived in universe that Stanley Kubrick really brought to fore where not everything was gleaming, you know, uh, comes from Stanley Kubrick's theory, which I think is actually a part of primal storytelling that Stanley Kubrick was able to pick up on because he's someone else who was a master of primal storytelling, uh, in my opinion, where, you know, the more real and not real, but the more consistent, the more internally consistent a vision that you craft on celluloid, okay, as in the, the universe you create on film, the more internally consistent it is, as in it doesn't contradict itself and things make sense, the more that the viewer believes what's happening on the screen and the more they get engrossed in the film. George Lucas understood this, okay? In fact, I think he understood it so much, it's why he didn't worry a whole hell of a lot about, uh, you know, perhaps how the dialogue sounded a bit Shakespearean in the prequels or something like this. But everything felt very internally consistent, right? Everything had a point. Even if it was a long game, everything felt internally consistent. James Cameron is very much the same way. And, I mean, that this, this internal consistency is something that is completely lost on on Hollywood, uh, in the entertainment industry in general today. I mean, it's just, it's gone. Like, you know, there's all these rampant contradictions and Canon and whatever. And there's so many people like, Oh, Canon doesn't matter. And even the Terminator franchise rewrites its Canon often. Uh, we'll talk about that because you can't really use that argument against us. And I'll explain why, but you know, people say Canon doesn't matter. No, it absolutely does because what hooks you into what's happening in the universe is its internal consistency. Okay, so canon is a part of making the film believable. It's a part of engrossing you in what is happening on the screen before you. And the greats, and I will say James Cameron was, a, you know, was, maybe is, was, uh, you know, a phenomenal filmmaker. One of the best. So was George Lucas. Obviously, so was Kubrick. And really, I, I don't think George Lucas ever lost his touch, by the way. People might want to argue about James Cameron. We'll we'll see. <laughs> There's movies coming. We'll see. But anyway, I think it's interesting to bring up George Lucas and James Cameron in the same breath because both of them and their major franchises, which I would say, you know, Terminator is Cameron's major franchise, just as Star Wars is George Lucas's major franchise, you know, Indiana Jones notwithstanding. But both of these franchises are ultimately about destiny. And they're Again, this gets back to that primal storytelling. Destiny in, say, go back to the times of Homer, go back to the Greek epics, or even just go back a couple hundred years. Um, the concept of destiny was something that, like, it was not equated, you know, destiny wasn't equated with your destiny to become this great thing. Destiny was a meeting with your end, with death, with doom, or with, you know, something dreary. Uh, it was a malevolent force. Now, unfortunately, somewhere along the way, um, this message got very confused. And I know I, I have a good idea of where the confusion came from, okay, about the idea that destiny is like a good thing and that you want to embrace it. Um, 
no, you don't want to embrace your destiny. <laughs> okay. But there is a major philosophical uh, uh, school that does embrace destiny and considers destiny a very real thing and something that you really can't do anything about. And that are, that's the Stoics. Stoicism has become wildly popular uh, in all kinds of, of different, you know, bents of life and cultures and subcultures. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised because Stoicism, I mean, it's even popular in, you know, very popular really in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's all over the place, right? And it's really, it's a pop Stoicism. But Stoicism itself, and, and I've done, you know, whole episodes, or I, I've done, I guess, long conversations. How about that? Because it might not have been an entire episode, but it was probably a good 15, 20 minutes or more of it. Uh, really decrying Stoicism um, as being just like one of the worst philosophical uh, uh, schools, we can call it that, one of the worst philosophical schools, to, you know, for humanity to ever come up with. I mean, because, you know, really it's a school of the slave. Um, it's a school of the unfree. And I don't just mean in like a government sense. I mean, Stoicism is a school of the unfree in the galactic sense, in the universal sense, because at the heart of Stoicism is this idea of destiny. But it is about, that's not to say, I mean, this concept of destiny, destiny is a very old idea. Destiny was also, you know, like this notion was also accepted by Stoicism's, um, you know, uh, opponents say, you know, the, the cynics or the hedonists, right? The Epicureans. So they had a problem with destiny as well. Here's the thing for the hedonist, for the Epicurean. And when I say hedonist, I mean, an ethical hedonist, a philosophical hedonist, not somebody who's just getting trashed all the time. Okay. For that, for, for the hedonist destiny is something to actively not embrace. It is to understand but only in understanding it, are you able to avoid it? This is a really key difference and maybe the biggest difference between, you know, say the Epicureans and, you know, the followers of Epictetus, you know, or like the Stoics, right? Like Marcus Aurelius and others. You see, because ultimately hedonists are about one thing, choice, having choice, believing there is a choice, not just believing it, but really you know, knowing it. Choice is everything and choice and the repercussions of choices uh, are very much, I think the, what, what the Terminator films, or at least some of the Terminator films and certainly the prequels uh, and original trilogy for star Wars, just the prequels and original trilogy. Can't say much for the sequel trilogy on this one. Uh, we're all about choice. And I mean, George Lucas has been, you know, very forthright about that. Even, you know, that's, that's like not reading into it. That's, that's what the creator fucking said. But even if he didn't say it, you can see it, you know, where, I mean, go, you know, go to return of the Jedi, right. Where uh, Palpatine, you know, is telling, you know, is telling Luke Skywalker, you know, kill your father and fulfill your destiny and take his place at my side. Now see, see George Lucas got it. Okay. Destiny is a bad thing, <laughs> right? Like your mission in life as a hero is to thwart destiny is to choose away from destiny, to understand it, to see the trap that destiny is and get away from it. 
okay, or circumvent it or, you know, play above it. However, the hero, you know, ends up going over it. In, in the case of Luke Skywalker, uh, you, you essentially have where he, and what I've said is the greatest moment in Star Wars history, where he takes his lightsaber, you know, when Vader's down, all he's got to do is make the killing blow. Palpatine's goading him, telling him to fulfill his destiny. Those are Palpatine's words. And Luke says, never tosses, you know, tosses a fucking lightsaber and says, you know, I'll never turn to the dark side. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Now, I mean, the lesson there is remarkable. And it's a lesson that also ends up in the Terminator trilogy, at least. Though I think it even goes beyond that. And and maybe I'll talk about it a little bit here before we even get into, you know, our ranking. But to finish up my, my point with, you know, with Luke Skywalker. See, if Luke was a Stoic, he would think in his mind, well, I got to leave the world a better place. You know, I've got to do what I came here and what I meant to do. Uh, I've got to kill Darth Vader. But of course, in doing so, even though you'd think, you know, in the Stoic mind there, I got rid of this great evil. Luke Skywalker would have become the evil. He would have fulfilled his destiny. However, by not just not killing Darth Vader, because, you know, maybe the Stoic, maybe the, maybe the good Stoic, right? The heroic Stoic. That's, that's funny. Maybe the heroic Stoic would also try and kill Palpatine and maybe even pull it off. Of course, now with, you know, how the retcon of Palpatine's soul and Rise of Skywalker, who knows what would happen there. But let's say at the time, okay, in 83, Return of the Jedi, here we go. Maybe Luke Skywalker would have killed Palpatine as well, but it's unlikely. And really the moment that, that Luke killed Vader, it would have been, you know, the same situation of what happened to Anakin, where he essentially just snaps, you know, after what happens to Mace Windu, right? But same idea, he would have killed Vader and then he would have become Vader. He would have, you know, his choice would have bought into, would have embraced that dark destiny, right? Now, without getting into where does this concept of destiny come from, you know, I mean, we, we don't have to go there, but I think you get my point. But what is so but I want to continue with this. What does Luke do? Luke chooses what I call on Sovereign Tech the third way. He chooses the third option, and there's always at least a third option. Instead of killing Vader or the Emperor, he tosses his lightsaber and says, motherfucker, I'm not playing your game. The only way to beat the game is not to play. That sounds kind of like Tron Legacy, but anyway, that's a whole other animal. <laughs> and I know that that's like, that, that can be seen as a Buddhist concept and Buddhism is, is, is you know, another bullshit philosophical school, which I'm not going to get into right now. Certainly heavily influenced the Jedi, you know, Jedi concepts, but ultimately, you know, without Buddhism, Luke is still pulling off the right trick. If Luke was a, you know, a hero out of a Greek epic, he would have made the right choice. He chose to not play. He didn't just alter his destiny and allowed himself to be a good guy. He actually nullified the very concept of destiny in his life. And that's winning. Within, you know, this idea of, of primal storytelling. I mean, it's fantastic. He essentially, Luke essentially destroys, <laughs> of all ironies, <laughs> saves the galaxy, 
with love and compassion. Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I know we're talking about Terminator, but it just gives me chills thinking about it. It's amazing. What a great hero Luke Skywalker is. In fact, he's the rarest of great heroes because I, I, I would argue most hero characters are not great. That's why I usually like the villains, but Luke Skywalker, no, 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 he got it. And you know, what's beautiful. It gets even better because there isn't even the message that at the end he gets the girl. Now it turns out the girl's a sister, so he can't even get the girl. I love that. Right. Because how much of our society teaches children that, yeah, you know, beat up this person, kill the bad guy, blah, blah, blah. And that's how you get women and the cycle of violence continues. Luke completely circumvented the cycle of violence. He, I mean, he cut it off right at the pass through inaction, through a choice, but through inaction. As to where, you know, modern Hollywood, as well as a lot of not so modern philosophies that are popular today would say, oh, no, no. Yeah. Give in to your destiny, do your destiny. And yeah, it, it'll turn out best for you and blah, blah, blah. When actually it creates all the grand evils. Now, Terminator goes through a very similar arc. And in fact, I would say that at least four of the technical six films um, of the Terminator franchise continue on with this concept of destiny. And we're going to, I want to talk about that a little bit, how, how this happens. And the idea of, of course, maybe one of the most famous lines from Terminator 2, you know, the future is not set. There's no fate, but what we make. I mean, I just rattled that off the top of my head because <laughs> every kid from then, from the nineties, like can say half of what John Connor said, because we all wanted to be John Connor, right? You, you know, little kid, John Connor. And mainly because we wanted to ride a dirt bike and, you know, hack into ATMs. But <laughs> anyway, uh, but that idea, there's no fate, but what we make meaning that we have choice. Choice is what defeats destiny. And that destiny is ultimately a bad thing. Um, this is the message within, you know, at least James Cameron's Terminator. I think that the, that this throughputs into three, even though three would use the word destiny at the end, we're going to talk about this. Three would use the word destiny at the end in a way that would seem contradictory, but I don't think it is. And then I think this also plays into Genesis, which is part of why I love the fuck out of that movie. Both three and Genesis salvation and dark fate. This, this narrative that this string, this thread that runs through the Terminator franchise about destiny and choice just doesn't exist there. <laughs> like it's not in those movies. And I think you'll end up, I'm kind of giving it away a bit, but you're going to find out. You'll see why those two movies perhaps rank so low, um, you know, in, in my top eight. And part of it is because they're not carrying the torch of the franchise and getting out that great message. And it is a great message that these movies have ultimately. So the Terminator from 1984, this movie, I mean, it's a thriller, right? And you know, it works just on a very superficial level as being a movie that'll just, you know, can scare the fuck out of you. At least back then it could. Um, I, to this day, I think Stan Winston's, uh, uh, you know, stop motion work with the, the you know, with the T-800 is, is still creepy. In fact, because it kind of stutters, it, it, you know, because it is stop motion photography, uh, I think it's even creepier. <laughs> like, like it, it, 
it seems far scarier than any slick CGI version of, of a Terminator. But while this movie introduces us to, you know, Sarah Connor, to the concept of John Connor, to Kyle Reese, to the Terminator played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and it introduces us to Skynet. It introduces us to all these ideas. What it really introduces us to is the idea of how does destiny and fate work, right? And of course you got, you got a fun time travel narrative to play with that um, to where, you know, you're, it's this cycle that keeps happening. The cycle of, you could argue of destruction and creation, right? The creation is the birth of John Connor. The destruction is Skynet blowing everything to hell. So it really introduces us to that continual cycle. Okay. Of creation and destruction and the destiny within that. The way to break the cycle, of course, is to choose to not choose your destiny, right? The way to break the cycle would be, you know, arguably for John Connor, which of course in the first movie we haven't even seen yet, but for John Connor to, you know, choose perhaps not to be the freedom fighter. And I know what you're thinking, like, well, wait, but then why, like, why should the, you know, why should the T-800, you know, say in Terminator 2 or the, you know, the the Model 101, right? The T-101. Why should that go back in time and save uh, John Connor, you know, to make sure that humanity can survive? Like if he's got to be the hero that fights the machines and blah, blah, blah. But you're saying that the way for John Connor to break the cycle would be to, you know, pull a Luke Skywalker, toss his lightsaber aside and not be in the resistance. How does that make sense? Ah, aha, aha. Trust me, I'm going to explain it. And the key ultimately lies in another director, another filmmaker who has, I think, an understanding of primal storytelling, that being Christopher Nolan, we'll, we'll get to that. And I'm sure you can think of what line I'm thinking of from Christopher Nolan. So Terminator 2 happens. Okay, so Terminator 1 introduces us to this cycle, right? And to this destiny. Terminator 2 happens. And we get the opportunity perhaps to stop it from happening because at the end of Terminator one, it's like, okay, she's going to have John Connor and wow. You know, what a weird little, little time travel mind fuck and actual fuck that happens with Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor to make John Connor a thing. Like, wait, if Kyle Reese didn't go back in time, would John Connor have ever happened? Would Skynet have ever happened? Right. This is all of what's happening here. And Terminator two is all about getting to choose a way from that possibility away from the future where Skynet destroys everything and so on. And, you know, when you, when you get like, say the DVDs or and man, the DVD for, for Terminator two was such an event when that came out back in the day, you know, or you get the Blu-rays, you know, you know, you get multiple versions of the ending, right? Like there's like three different endings, I think total. Um, but one of the endings was where John Connor, you know, judgment day doesn't happen. But John Connor ends up becoming like a politician, which, yeah, bad choice, but whatever. Um, Judgment Day doesn't happen. And in fact, we're, you know, it's funny. I could almost release this on August 29th because we are in August 2021. So it's not 1997, but of course, you know, Judgment Day originally was August 29th, 1997. Again, another thing that just people my age will never forget. <laughs> so. <laughs> I remember I was in high school and I mean, fortunately I wasn't in school that day, but whoo boy. Uh, anyway. Um, so originally 
the ending was supposed to be, yeah, we avoid a judgment day. Now, whoever's decision it was to make the actual ending that would, you know, be in the official version of the film, um, or, you know, the theatrically released version of the film, whoever's decision that was to just put the open road. I mean, that's also getting into a concept is like, well, now, you know, we broke the cycle. So now we have the open road and who knows what's possible, right? Okay. So that's what Terminator two gives us is it, it explains to us that you can choose away from your destiny. Okay. And it's also, I mean, it's very similar to return of the Jedi where, because I mean, even Sarah Connor, you know, makes uh, comments towards the, or to the effect that the Terminator is like John's father. Right. And, you know, John of course would later on, you know, talk about you know, like in other movies where he saw the T-101 as his father, etc. And much like Luke Skywalker, okay, does isn't the one that gives the death blow, or now, not so, rec- I mean, retcon, now it's not a death blow, but it was a death blow at the time. <laughs> Just like Darth Vader gives the death blow to the Emperor and dies in itself, it's the darkness consuming itself. The Terminator has to kill the T-1000 and the chip that would, that Skynet would essentially get built off of. And so John Connor isn't actually the hero. He gets out of the way and lets ultimately the darkness, even though you could say the Terminator, the T-101 is a redeeming character in Terminator 2, but ultimately lets the, the, the evil, the darkness, the destiny eat itself. You know, like this is the Ouroboros, right? And it's also why, I mean, as sad as it is, and it's a tear-jerking moment, it's also why the T-101 has to lower himself. Or, well, not lower himself, but why he has to be, because, you know, he can't self-destruct, but why he has to be lowered into the vat, right? Uh, To be, you know, melted as well. But it's the same deal. If Luke killed the Emperor or Darth Vader, the cycle would continue. Luke had to let the cycle eat itself. Had to let the snake eat its own tail. And that's how you beat it. I mean, it, it's brilliant storytelling, you know, and, and it's there. It's not like this is me reading into it. No, 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 no. That's, that's absolutely there. <laughs> okay. It is clearly the philosophy of the film. Uh, you know, if not almost stated, if, if not too much hammered in, in the movie, I mean, it's just, it's there. Now you get to Terminator three, and this is where a lot of people, uh, I think get disillusioned because because the first Terminator movies have James Cameron's sense of optimism, I think a lot of people look at Terminator three and say, well, shit, you know, (laughs) that was depressing where I have regularly on sovereign tech said, I love Terminator three, partly because it had, uh, in fact, I know someone even said this too in the telegram group. Um, but, you know, I've said this before as well. Like, they had the fucking nuts <laughs> to smoke the earth at the end of the movie. That's amazing. Wow. You know, like, yeah, yeah, let, let's end it. Judgment Day. Let's do it. And they ended the movie that way. Just brilliant. So, I mean, John Connor in this in Terminator 3, um, of course, not made by James Cameron, but I think. You know, there was a a very well done job of continuing, uh, you know, really a a lot of what what James Cameron was getting at. Maybe you could say that, all right, James Cameron wouldn't have perhaps wouldn't have blown up the earth at the end. Uh, So perhaps not so much. uh, Right. But I think ultimately 
that I mean, John Roncato and Michael Ferris, who who wrote Terminator three. And of course, Jonathan Mostow, you know, directed it. I, I think they, they took it in a direction that, that carried on the theme. And so essentially what happens is John Connor in the beginning of Terminator three seems to have made the right choice. He's just staying out of the system. He's just, you know, avoiding everything that he can and figuring that, well, if he doesn't play into destiny and he's out of the picture that, uh, judgment day can't happen. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it did not, but it just got postponed, right? That's the idea is that it got postponed because, you know, 19 August 29th, 1997 happens and everything's fine. And of course, you know, Terminator three came out in 2003. Um, so, John Connor, then, you know, you get to the end of this movie and ultimately what you find out, and it's, it's from his own quote, uh, at the, he gives a little, like a, a little speech. And at the end of it, he says, our destiny was never to stop judgment day. It was merely to survive it together. Now I think, and, and I, we can't really guess like say Jonathan Mostow got to make another Terminator movie. That didn't happen um, because Terminator three, I guess just didn't perform the way that, that everybody expected. And we wouldn't get another Terminator film until what, you know, 2009, 2010 um, when Terminator salvation came out, of course we would get the Sarah Connor Chronicles in between then, right. From 08 to 09. But anyway, uh, and that, I mean, that movie, you know, just to, to, to show that we were never going to get a sequel to Terminator three, that show basically treated it like, Terminator three never happened. Um, now I'm not knocking it for that, but I'll save that conversation for later. Okay. So the thing is, we don't know that the ending of Terminator three meant that like what, you know, whether it's John Brancato or whoever, what they wanted to do next was, you know, make a movie where John Connor is like the great hero. I think that they were leaving another open road. And what John Connor could have done at the end of Terminator three is just survive, right? Because it was a different judgment day. It didn't have to be a judgment day where John Connor becomes, you know, the leader of the resistance because again, it was a different judgment day, but then in Terminator three, we also find out that it's not just about John Connor. Like this destiny has to do with a lot of people including, you know, someone who would become his wife, that being, uh, you know, Catherine Brewster, right? Uh, played by, oh, what's her name? My so-called life there. Anyway, <laughs> Claire Danes, that's it. Um, you know, you find out that, it, that it's about more than John Connor, okay? So, you know, then destiny becomes kind of a bigger thing, right? Because it's not all about one person. Um, but at one point, it was kind of just about John Connor, and that did stop, uh, you know, a very specific judgment day, but judgment day was still to come. And that's because, you know, John Connor doesn't live in a, in a vacuum, right? The actions of all kinds of people are what bring on, you know, these, these catastrophic events, uh, you know, like a, like, you know, a Skynet, like judgment day. And so you end up with what you end up in Terminator three. Now for argument's sake, let's say that Terminator salvation is technically Terminator four. Okay where, 
you know, okay, it appears that John Connor, who survived the events of Terminator 3, is going to carry on and become the leader of the Resistance. Well, that movie's depressing as fuck, and you see what happens out of that, right? Um, so he, he still gave, he still bought into his destiny in Terminator Salvation. Now, the ultimate end of buying into that destiny gets explored and highlighted in what you could call Terminator 5, which is Terminator Genesis. Now, Terminator Genesis, which came out in 2015, was meant to really, like, not remake. Well, I mean, it was kind of a remake, but it was a remake sort of like the 2009 Star Trek, where, you know, okay, there's still the original canon. We're just like one event happened in the past that changes everything going forward. So the events of T2 and T3 didn't happen. I think it was a brilliant idea. But the John Connor that comes out of T1, T2, T3, and if you want to consider Salvation, T4, does still play a part in Terminator 5, kind of like how Leonard Nimoy as Spock would affect the, say, Spock in you know, or it would, it would affect the, uh, uh, the, the new young cast, um, you know, in the 2009 Star Trek. And, but, but what is he, what is, what is John Connor in Terminator Genesis? He becomes the villain. And this gets to the primal storytelling based on more Roman epics that Christopher Nolan gets to with the classic line in his Batman trilogy that you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that's exactly what happens in Terminator Genesis. John Connor did not choose, ultimately, when he could have, even after the events of Terminator 3, he could have chosen to do what he says in his quote. Again, he doesn't say, when he says, you know, our, our destiny was never to, uh, to stop Judgment Day, it was merely to survive it together. He didn't say was to go and kick the shit out of Skynet and blow up a bunch of uh, endoskeletons. It just said to survive it. And that's what he could have done is just survived and thrived. Okay. Without having to go off and, you know, destroy Skynet and whatever else, because the events of Terminator Genesis make it very clear that when John Connor finally went to Skynet, he joined Skynet. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's no different than if Luke Skywalker killed Darth Vader and said, okay, emperor, I'm with you. So John Connor joining the resistance or starting the resistance, leading the resistance is actually part of the problem and creates the entire cycle and continues the cycle that goes all the way back to the, to the first Terminator film. I mean, boom, right? Like (laughs) the mind explodes when you see this trail of destiny that these movies lay out, but the message, you know, James Cameron still said it. And even at the end of three, like, I still think that the, that great quote of, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to stop judgment day. We're just supposed to survive it together. I still think that that's a completely valid and beautiful course of action. None of that has anything to do or has to do with starting a resistance, right? It has to do with just, you know, stop playing chess. Take your, you know, if you're a, if you're a pawn on the chessboard, how do you win the game? Pawn can't win the game. Well, I mean, I, I guess maybe it could get the king into checkmate, but generally the pawn can't win the game. The best thing the pawn can do is get the fuck off the board and stop playing, <laughs> right? And let all the let let the fucking uh, uh, you know kings and queens and bishops fuck themselves. This is you know this speaks to 
I mean, this is like such ancient philosophy. Like I said, it's primal storytelling. And I think you can find narratives like this in a lot of things where there's these choices that could be made, but they don't end up getting made even in uh, like Greek epics, right? For example, Achilles, right? You know, the, the Greek character of Achilles, he didn't have to go to Troy. He could have his shield, right? His shield had a depiction of the alternate life that he could choose where he lived and he was happy, where he survived together because that's what was on his shield. This is classic storytelling that even Homer got, right? Is that it's all about choice and avoiding destiny and blah, blah, blah. And they were trying to tell you, don't give in to destiny, choose away from it. And you choose away from it by just not playing it. How did Alexander solve the knot, right? He just took the knife. Of, <laughs> you know, he didn't try to unknot it. He just cut it. <laughs> Our ancestors were dumb. They've been telling us this forever <laughs> and, and, and kudos to Cameron and others, you know, and George Lucas, you know, who, who really laid it out that, you know, how you get out of this, this cycle of, of destiny and destiny equating to doom, right? Not destiny as in, oh, I am destined to be this great thing. No destined as in, you know, destiny is bad. Destiny is the bad end game, but it, it's to just walk away. And live in obscurity. I mean, like in real life, I'm always amazed at, you know, and, and this is why, like I say, when, when people have called me in the past, they've called me John Connor. I don't run with it. Like I, I, I don't, I mean, I get the compliment, but for me, I know the story and I'm not interested in being that because I know where that ends up. And you could say, oh, Stanley, and this is just fiction. No, 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 no. Because a lot of fiction is often just the author, you know, telling you about themselves and about their life and what they've gone through and their choices that they've made. Okay. It's not just fiction. But we, you know, when I, when I hear libertarians and, uh, and, and some anarchists and some others, you know, all talking about yeah, you know, we're, we're going to take down the government or like, you know, we're going to, we're going to become politicians ourselves, take it in from the inside, um, or they're going to do a coup or I don't know, whatever the fuck they're going to do, you know, or they're going to pull that bullshit like they did in January or something. And I'm not saying those were libertarians. I'm just saying whatever your group, I don't care what your ism is. Okay. When you decide to fight the government, you become the government, right? This is the old, I mean, and this is where it's not just fiction because this is the oldest rule of the fanatic. When you become obsessed with the enemy, you become the enemy. This is life, not fiction. And these movies are, you know, I think they're, they're giving us lessons that we can walk away with. And that's what I think a lot of great movies should do. They don't have to, but I like it when they do. Um, this is a, a completely lost art in modern Hollywood, and you can see it in later Terminator films. Uh, or certainly in the latest Terminator film. I know a lot of people give Terminator Genesis a lot of shit for making John Connor the bad guy. Man, people don't get it. <laughs> you just don't get it. Like, no, that's where the story had to go. That's how you tell the story. This is how these narratives work. Because otherwise, it's just dumb action like Dark Fate, which is exactly what that was at the end of the day. 
the more time I sit on the movie Dark Fate, the, the less I like it, man. So what a shame that we couldn't get, I mean, and look, it was fine. Like again, Genesis took it to a logical conclusion. Like I can live with that. Um, and I, and I really like people forget how that movie, do you, do you realize the Terminator Genesis, which I mean, like the uh, dark fate wanting to ignore, I don't know. I cannot imagine why, um, that, that was the second highest growing Terminator film ever over Terminator two next to Terminator two. It was the second highest grossing Terminator film in history. Somebody must've done something fucking right. So again, overall, I mean, just a fantastic franchise that tells a very complete, consistent story. Ultimately, you know, and even the way that it tries to reboot itself, like with Terminator Genesis, it did so in such a consistent, logical, uh, and like narrative and, and way that continued the narrative flow. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like the guy that played, you know, Kyle Reese in it either. Like, all right, that was a bad choice, but I could say that for a lot of aspects as far as acting choices. I didn't like the guy who they picked for John Connor in, uh, I mean, Claire Danes is fine as, as Catherine Brewster. But the guy that got to play John Connor in Terminator 3, oh, I thought he was shit. Okay, but they're shit actors. But so what? The movie's still great. And I shouldn't even say that they're like necessarily shit actors. Like Christian Bale is not a shit actor. He's a terrible John Connor, though. But with all that said, um, so there is the there are the themes, the theme, the main theme, which is destiny. I mean, that's why fate keeps, I mean, the word alone, if it doesn't show up in the title of the movie, it's, you know, all over the place. Even though it's ironic because... Like dark fate does not continue the thread, <laughs> but that we were just discussing. And yet it's the one that has fate slash destiny, you know, in the title itself. And again, Terminator salvation. I, I don't know what the fuck they're trying to do with that. I mean, that movie was supposed to be like a new trilogy. Um, it was playing off of Terminator three. I guess we can, we can imply that just because they were planning on, that being another trilogy, but the, the, the company that made it was a Halcyon pictures. Uh, they went bankrupt after the movie came out and the movie didn't do like the biggest, you know, didn't really do that great anyway. And Arnold hated it and whatever, or eventually hated it. Um, you know, that movie, it didn't really play with any of these themes. That movie had its own fucking agenda and it's a weird ass one. And I don't even, I don't know that was trying to get into some transhumanist, or shit, uh, that I can't stand. I mean, it was just, just a very odd duck. Um, but you know, it does at the very least solidify for Terminator Genesis that John Connor does decide to continue on the path of, uh, most resistance, not least resistance. <laughs> if he did least resistance, maybe, you know, who knows what the future would have done. Skynet would eventually, you know, eaten itself. Um, there probably would have been a rogue program that, 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 you know, cropped up within Skynet's network and then they would have went after each other. And then the only thing that survives are, gee, those things that don't have to connect to a network as long as they haven't gone the transhumanist route, it must be human beings. Whoa. Humans win by not playing, by not fighting. I don't know if that would have been an exciting movie, but I wouldn't have mind if it went that way. Um, though salvation, like, Actually, uh, J. Michael Straczynski uh, did some sequel comics for Terminator Salvation. Um, 
and even uh, Timothy Zahn, I think, wrote some some sequel books for that. Like there is a world with novels and comics that were created for Terminator Salvation that make that era a lot more exciting and that are far better than the movie is, even though the movie kind of grounds it all. Um, so I'm not like saying that I hate that Salvation was was out there, but, you know, it's not the best part of that. Uh, let's see. It, it's not the best knob on that piece of the puzzle. How about that? But speaking of the best, why don't we talk about, why don't we get into our top eight finally, now that we're an hour in talking about why the Terminator franchise matters, I think to this day, and that there are great lessons to glean from it. And I mean, I'm only hitting at some of them. There's plenty more. So here it is. We've already gone an hour deep. Let's get into our top eight in the Terminator franchise. And to be clear, I mean, I could really do um, like a top eight Terminator games. I know probably most people don't even realize there were that many Terminator games made uh, back, you know, in the old MS-DOS days. I mean, there were a lot back then. Um Man, the box art used to be so amazing on those. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, I could do that. I could do a top eight um, a comic book series for Terminator. I mean, like even the latest from IDW, the the, the Transformers Terminator crossover that they did was just fucking brilliant. Um, another thing that, you know, I won't get into in this top eight is the, I mean, the large amount this is, again, another thing I think a lot of people don't realize, the large amount of Terminator novels, original novels, that have been made over the years. Um, there's a whole novel series that takes place after Terminator 2, um, and that Terminator 3 doesn't fit into the events with. Uh, but they're they're phenomenal books. Uh, I mean, really, like, they're, they're kind of an almost an alternate to uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and... I mean, just like, what was it? Greg bear and some others were writing on them or yeah. Or no, 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 no. I'm thinking of Greg Cox, but he didn't write the Terminator two novels. He wrote, um, I think he was doing some of the salvation novels a anyway. Uh, it was SM Sterling who was doing like there's Terminator two, or they just called it T2 it was the whole novel series, but uh, T2 infiltrator, I think was the first one, but I mean, fantastic books. So there's a lot more to get into with the Terminator franchise than just the live action stuff, right? Um, that I could easily do a top eight on each. I don't know if there's interest in that. Um, I think it's well worthwhile. Again, a lot of the best Terminator stuff, kind of like I was saying earlier, even exists outside the films. And actually, when we go down this list, you might sort of realize, or at least in my opinion, what I think is the best as we go through this top eight. But Anyway, let's get into it. Let's do our top eight and we will start off again. Number eight being the least and then, you know, number one uh, being the best. So I'm going to give number eight to Terminator Salvation, which. And we, we covered a lot of this, how it doesn't how I mean, yes, it, it can fit in with the, uh, uh, you know, the thread of destiny, right, of that idea. Um there's a reason that this is last. And I mean, you know, if, if I could count in the um, attached novels and comic books to the Terminator salvation, kind of, we'll call it the universe. Uh, salvation would actually be higher on this list, but taking the movie just as it is 
And I mean, it's just, there's, there's, there's nothing going on with it. <laughs> like it's Christian Bale was such a miscasting. And then the Sam Worthington's character, I mean, his acting was fine, but like that character was just weird. Like I, I, I to this day, I don't know what they were trying to do and like what they're trying to do with Lena Bonham Carter's character. Uh, the real redeeming moment that this movie has really is, is when, when CGI Arnold comes out, you know, when you have Arnold as the T 800 gets unlocked and you know, it's coming and, and you see him finally. And of course this is very early on when you were doing what are now commonly known as deep fakes. And you know, when that happens, okay, then the movie suddenly, you know, goes, goes from like three to 10, right? <laughs> it, it just jumps up. Uh, and the music plays and it's exciting. Um, you know, speaking of the music, even like Danny Elfman's score was kind of lackluster. And when they fucking played Alice in Chains in this, oh man. I, the, the, I mean, it, like it's, it's a great looking movie as far as look goes, but also there weren't like a lot of the lasers and stuff. Here's the other disappointing part is that, okay, it was being billed as, Finally, you're going to see John Connor in action and you're going to see that future that we only got glimpses of in, you know, the other Terminator movies, but it didn't even really have that. Like everything was dirty and it didn't like the, the end of skeletons, you know, the, the Terminators themselves, you know, whatever model, uh, you know, didn't have that great sheen to them. It, it just didn't work. Like it, it did not, it did not give us the future that we saw like in Terminator two. Right. And so that, that made it kind of disappointing, but it's just, it's just too gloomy of a movie, you know, and there's no real, I mean, you know, the actors in it are, are great actors like Helena Bonham Carter's great. Who's is a moon blood good. That's in this as well. You know, she's great. Um, again, Christian Bale, who the hell is going to call him a bad actor? Never, but it's just, he's the wrong person for the role. I mean, you even have a really young Anton Yelkin, you know, uh, uh, of course, who would do Chekhov in, uh, you know, the, the, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, who sadly passed away far too young. Um, I mean, you got you you have all the right pieces here. You have a great idea overall as far as, OK, let's explore the future of the Terminator franchise instead of like having this constant time travel bullshit or it's not bullshit, but you get what I mean, you know, going on. But they just dropped the ball. And maybe they would have made more if Halcyon Pictures didn't, you know, didn't tank uh, basically right after the movie came out. But you had Mick G directing. It, it was just, it was missing a lot uh, and, and was just way too gloomy, way too gloomy. Uh, and, and not that, like, I don't mind that it's dark. I'm fine with dark and gritty, of course. Uh, but you've got to give people a little bit of something. You know, and also, again, the storyline of what they were trying to do with Sam Worthington's character in this, I, st I still don't exactly get it. I mean, I'm sure you can go to Wikipedia and, and, you know, read what was said to have happened, but it feels like there was some other kind of like meta narrative going on in this that I just didn't dig. It rubbed me the wrong way. It, it just smacked of transhumanism and there was just something not. Yeah, it really just rubbed me the wrong way. That said, when you, like I said, if you could bring in like the Timothy Zahn novels, if you could bring in some of the Straczynski comics around this, I mean, you got two of the best writers in the world right there. Uh, 
then you have anchored by this movie, you have a pretty impressive, you know, little universe going on with Terminator salvation. Um, but the movie alone, yeah, it, it's just, there's just stuff missing. Again, the best moment is when, is when you get deep fake Arnold, best thing going in it. So 2010's Terminator salvation, that's at our number eight spot. Um, I mean, I, I can't even really call it a good movie. I hate to say that. Like, I, I can't really call it a good movie. There's just nothing really redeeming going on there, ultimately. Um, but let's go to number seven. Uh, maybe the most controversial uh, Terminator movie ever, um, because it's another one that you would think has all the right elements, but then when it all comes together, mm-hmm. well, that's Terminator Dark Fate for you, uh, of course, from, from 2019. Another movie that, like I said, I mean, look, this had all the right pieces. This should have been an incredible movie. Um, you had great actors. Uh, I mean, you had Arnold, you know, coming back, right? This isn't Salvation where you only get a glimpse of him. Okay, You're going to have Arnold in it. And I mean, not only Arnold, you also had Linda Hamilton coming back, right? You know, as Sarah Connor. Uh, you had so much going on for this. And yet. It just wasn't, I mean, again, the more I watch this movie, the worse it, it gets, really. Uh, and, and that shouldn't be possible because, I mean, the director is fine. They brought in Tim Miller, of course, to, of course, of, uh, you know, Deadpool fame. Um, and, you know, the one thing that this movie has over Salvation is it's funny. And I mean, it's laugh out loud funny. Like the comedy works and lands in this. And it's probably the best part of the, the best thing of the film. Between that and Linda Hamilton, the best thing of this movie is the comedy. And a lot of that comedy comes straight laced from Arnold. And it, it's just, it's, it's amazing how well it works. Now, some of that comedy probably comes from, uh, of course, one of the writers of the screenplay, that being the great David Goyer. Uh, David Goyer is behind probably so many of, of my favorite films over time. Um, I've lost track. <laughs> you know, he's just, I mean, when you see his name, you know, there's going to be something redeeming anyway. And, and maybe that's where the comedy comes in and Tim Miller's ability to direct comedy, you know, is probably what brought it to the limelight. Um, but they, they really did a, a great job with that. But at the end of the day, that's kind of all it has is that comedy. Um, the actors are all fine. I mean, Mackenzie Davis, of course, from Halt and Catch Fire, um, she does a fine job, you know, as her kind of hybrid human Terminator character, uh, kind of doing a, a slightly less mysterious version, I would say, of Sam Worthington's character from Salvation. Um, but I mean, she she does fine. Like there, there's there's no real issue there. Um, of course, I, I mean, and and you know, the the argument goes is that James Cameron was involved with the story here. You know, how much James Cameron was was really involved is up to some debate, uh, but. Anyway, you know, Linda Hamilton's doing her thing, being a total badass. Arnold's doing his thing, obviously. Um, Gabriel Luna was fine in it. And, I mean, when the movie opens up and you are seeing, you know, a young Sarah Connor, right, Linda Linda Hamilton, and a very young John Connor, you know, like as in Ed Furlong's John Connor, and you're seeing what is essentially, you know, like new footage of them. Uh, that was an impressive opening, like way to go, you know, to shock everybody by, by showing that off. I mean, it was probably one of the biggest jaw droppers in recent memory for me since like in Blade Runner 2049, seeing Rachel, 
right? As a very, you know, very young Sean Young. No pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> but like, it was just one of those moments where like, wow, nice job on that. You, they really looked like they, you know, that, that looked, I mean, I, I'm not a hundred percent certain on how they pulled off that footage. I suppose I should watch a making special at some point. I have the Blu-ray so I could, uh, because like if a part of me thought that they just cut out stuff from like deleted scenes from Terminator two, because they looked so legit. But then at the same time, that opening sequence, as great as it is, is what turned a lot of people off to this movie because they killed off John Connor, <laughs> right? right? Right in the beginning of the movie. And so you know that John Connor is not going to be the hero of the future. And they are setting up a very different future. Now, you know, people getting pissed off about that. I think this is similar to a lot of people not liking that, you know, John Connor was the, the villain uh, essentially in Terminator Genesis. Admittedly, I don't, I don't really get this because you don't really get to spend any time in any Terminator film. You don't really get to spend any significant amount of time, if any, with John Connor, the hero, right? But then everybody like treats John Connor like a mythical hero. Now the movies treat them like that. So maybe the people just kind of buy into that, but you know, let's be honest with ourselves. We really don't know jack shit, you know, about John Connor uh, as the adult hero taking on um, Skynet. But, well, I mean, you do in Terminator Salvation, right? You get some time with that. But even in that, the movie's not really about John Connor uh, so much in the best sequences when he's riding the motorcycle, right? Uh, but, <laughs> but, yeah, like there's not there's not enough of John Connor to like revere him in such a way, in my opinion. You know, yeah, you can revere him as a as a young person, but I don't know, maybe that's it. Maybe just people were hoping that we'd eventually get to see badass John Connor at some point and it just never really delivered and salvation was just, you know, so depressing. It even if you had a badass John Connor, it didn't save the movie. Uh so yeah, I, I don't really get why people are so disappointed to lose John Connor uh, in this more concerning for me. Ultimately, I think that the, the Rev nine, which is the, the, the Terminator baddie, you know, sent back into time in this um, the Rev nine is it's too similar to, you know, to the, 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 the Terminatrix right to the TX from uh, from Terminator three. It's just not very original. Ooh, it can split into two different ones, but Eh, you know, and Mackenzie Davis's character, you know, being a, you know, being like part Terminator or whatever. Eh, I mean, I mean like these things just aren't, it's, it's trying to be original for originality's sake, instead of bringing something to the story that makes some sense that makes it or makes it terrifying. Like say the T 1000. And it's not that I have a problem with that. Skynet is not the great evil here. Right. I mean, because with Genesis, you were setting that up where they're go it was going to be a different company, even though it ended up with the same thing. That's fine. Um, but you get no backstory, really. You get no real depiction or understanding of, wait, how did Legion come to be? What is the deal with Legion? What's the difference between Legion and Skynet? As to where with Genesis, you did get that, right? You did get the kind of the origins of this company and how eventually, you know, things would become Skynet-like, uh, you know, and so on. So you just, you didn't get enough explanation of, okay, well, how did judgment day happen in this new timeline where John Connor is dead? How did you, 
it's just not there. You don't get enough. Um, and you know, the action is good for what it is, but there's also some, some really odd editing in this movie where, where things just don't seem to make sense. Uh, particularly having to do with the, what is it? The, the, the dam sequence as in, you know, like a water dam. Uh, when you watch the movie, you'll see what I mean. Like it, it just, the whole sequence doesn't make a ton of sense, but I mean, you know, Sarah Connor is great in it and that's fine to bring her in, you know, as the real hero and everything ultimately, or well, they tried to make her, she wasn't exactly the total hero. Again, they're, they're playing that up to Mackenzie Davis's character. And then uh, of course the, you know, the gal that she was protecting. Um, but yeah, it just, the pieces didn't come together on this one. Uh, I don't have a problem with John Connor dying early. I, I, again, I just think that everything that they tried to put together in this didn't work. And the new villain just, you know, you didn't get enough. It, it fell prey to what's happening a lot in modern Hollywood where they don't build up the villain. Okay. Um, and you can't just have the Terminator going back in time again. You got to have something more, right? Because I mean, that that's just, you know, you're, you're, you're six movies deep at this point. You've got to have something, you've got to build up the villain a little bit in a different way. And you just don't get that at all. You get no buildup of the villain, you know, with the Terminator. Okay. You don't have to explain Skynet necessarily. You don't have to explain the Terminator necessarily. It's such a new character. You know, it's exciting enough to see something, you know, like, like the Terminator, right. In 1984, but it's 2019. Now you've, you've got to give us more. It can't just be like, like seeing an, uh, a Terminator at this point isn't as terrifying as it was in 1984. So you got to give us something. And they didn't, you know, they did not develop the villain and you just can't with nothing new under the sun in Hollywood these days, you can't do that. You can't just expect, okay, it's the Terminator. People get it. We'll move on. No, no, you can't move on. You've got to give us, you got to give us explanations. You got to give us some kind of backstory. What's the deal with Legion? And you just didn't get any of that. And it could have been great. Like explain how this is so much more terrifying than, um, you know, than Skynet, uh, do something weird with smartphones. I mean, there's a lot of things that they could have pulled off in this. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's still like alt because of the comedy, it's still ultimately a better film. I would say than you know, than salvation, but that's really all it has going for it is the fact that Linda Hamilton's back and the comedy is, is, is pretty good. Um, so let's move on to, let's see, that was number seven. So let's move on to number six. Number six is here's, here's where I, where I'm, I'm cheating a little, <laughs> but no, this was awesome. Uh, number six is Terminator two, 3d battle across time. Uh, from, well, I guess that came out in 1993 is when that initially launched. This is technically a movie. Okay. It is a attraction. You know, it is a theme park attraction, originally a universal studios in Florida. Um, I've been through it. It was great. <laughs> I think it was, uh, when did I go? Must've been like 2002, uh, that I, that I went to this. And, you know, you're essentially, you're huddled into this room and there's, uh, a, a, a woman who works for Cyberdyne, you know, she's in business attire and everything. And she's talking to everybody saying, oh, you know, we're really excited to show all of this to you and blah, blah, blah. And then you suddenly get like these, you know, 
prototype Terminators that come up and she's like, isn't this wonderful and blah, blah. And then, well, what you expect to happen, of course, does happen. The prototype Terminators start shooting and you know, you're, you're there. I mean, it's really, it's a really cool thing because then once you're inside, you know, kind of the, the theater room of this whole event, um, and it's a gigantic screen that you go into, uh, then you get, you know, there's, there's Eddie Furlong and there is Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, playing their respective characters, the T one Oh one. And, uh, and of course, as, as John, you know, Ed Furlong as John Connor, uh, for a long time. I mean, this, this was a millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, attraction, you know, to make, I mean, like it was, in fact, I think at one point it was the most expensive attraction at any theme park, uh, partly because I'm sure that, you know, they had to pay. Arnold Schwarzenegger's salary, you know, to, to be in what is essentially an original film. I mean, it's only a few, you know, few minutes long. Um, I don't know what, whatever, 10, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Uh, but it is a completely original film. And I mean, there's points where, you know, to, to make it a, I mean, and you wear 3d glasses and everything. And there's points where obviously there are stand in actors for, you know, for, for the T one one and for, um, you know, for, for Ed Furlong who, you know, are, are like right there in, in the, in the theater essentially with you. And they go running by and doing all these things, you know, just to kind of make it more exciting. Um, but everything that's happening on the screen with Arnold and Ed Furlong is it's really cool shit. And I mean, it's meant to be kind of outrageous. Obviously it's a theme park attraction, but like, okay. So the T1 million is kind of outrageous, but the whole thing is experiencing you know, like this 3d action, which was fairly rare at the time. I mean, it's certainly a product of its time, uh, but it is ultimately Arnold, the Terminator, you know, doing his thing one more time at, you know, in his prime at that. Uh, and that alone puts it, I think above, you know, many other Terminator properties because, you know, it's, it's essentially a sequel to Terminator two, a direct sequel to Terminator two. Uh, and, and it's, it does have all the right elements and James Cameron was, you know, behind it and, and making it, uh, I mean, it was, it was just, it was super well done. And I know there's, I mean, there's YouTube videos. And I think even on, on some of the home video releases of Terminator two, um, you can actually watch like the movie of it, you know, from it. So you can see this and on YouTube, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's video of where, cause I think the ride's been taken down now. Um, but there's YouTube videos that can, that show you like the whole thing you know, of what it's like to walk through it and all that and, and go through the whole experience. Um, so you can check this out. It's not like it's something that rare, you know, uh, but, it, and it's, it's worthwhile in my opinion, because again, if, especially if like your top movie is Terminator two, this is just more Terminator two, ultimately, even if it is a bit outrageous, but let's move it right along to number five on our list. Uh, so this is the fifth best. And this is one that I could, I could easily rank this higher. Um, because for me, it is like the first, I mean, the Terminator franchise has been pioneering in special effects, you know, right from 1984 onward. Okay. Um, but this is the one where, I mean, even though Terminator three, obviously the effects all look amazing in that. And there's just some really great stuff in it. We'll talk about it when we get to that movie. Um, Terminator Genesis for me, is the first movie where they were really able to take advantage of where in Hollywood, the standard is, is just that everything looks good. Everything looks real, you know, like special effects are at such a level. You can really do anything on the screen. 
Termi- and, and, and I feel like Genesis was the first movie, which came out in 2015, was the first Terminator film to really be able to take advantage of, you know, the fact that Hollywood, Hollywood has gotten to this you know, level of where anything is really possible. Uh, so it's a great looking movie. You get some time spent in 2029, right, in the future, and it looks great. And it's some of the action you've wanted to see for a long time. Now, this was a movie that was clearly trying to capitalize on um, Amelia Clark's fame, because this is kind of at her one of her heights uh, during her Game of Thrones run. Um, so, you know, th- this was one that I mean, she was definitely the vehicle here. Uh, and it is a movie where Sarah Connor is the real hero. John Connor is, again, the villain, right? Which following the theme of destiny, destiny is in doom of like we were talking about of the Terminator series. Uh, this makes perfect sense. This is a, this is a proper direction to take the character of John Connor. Okay. So I love that. Like, and I get it. And it, I mean, it just, it delivers. Um, Arnold gets to play, you know, the Terminator still as an older guy, similar to what would be done in dark fate. Um, of course he's called pops in this, uh, and you get to go back in time and history essentially gets rewritten. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but kind of like how in the 2009 Star Trek, how there is a point in cap, you know, in James Kirk's life that changes early on due to the Narada, the Romulan ship Narada coming back and you know, creating this change with the USS Kelvin. Um, similar thing happens here. Okay. Where essentially the Terminator, instead of like ensuring that John Connor survives, you know, raises Sarah Connor. That's why she calls him pops, uh, you know, to be this badass resistance leader. And it set up a bit of a different idea in that, like they, they sort of had like a homemade time machine, <laughs> you know, to where they could have, and, and I think this could have taken the Terminator franchise in really interesting directions. In fact, there were plans for there to be a television series that spun off of this as well as sequels. This was meant to be a big deal. And they really were setting up a lot of elements to where that could work. And I'm to this day, I'm pissed off that it didn't happen. I think this movie is phenomenal. Um, it's not ultimately better than anything in the original trilogy of Terminator films, you know, but it's certainly the best thing. And I think a, an excellent progression, uh, out of the, you know, the original uh, Terminator trilogy. And you even get where, you know, the, the, the pops were the T 800 Arnold's T 800, where he, he essentially becomes a T 1000 at the end. So he could take any shape that he needs to. And that would have been a great way to continue that T one one character but allow other actors to come in. You know, it was a brilliant move. And I mean, it might've been a little predictable at the end of what was going to happen there, but I think that would have been a fun, that would have been an awesome setup to have this character, you know, to have the T one Oh one, uh, uh, continue. What a damn shame. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like th- this, this was a great setup for the future of the franchise. And it just didn't continue. And, and it's not like the movie wasn't successful. It was incredibly successful. Again, next to Terminator 2, this is the highest grossing Terminator film in history. But I think ultimately the problem was, well, so I, well, A, I think the expectations was that this was going to be a billion dollar movie. Like, I, I think people were expecting this to be, you know, a Star Wars. Um, And 
It didn't do that. It did great. Again, 440 million worldwide. Like, who's going to complain about that? Well, there are people, there were people that did. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why, but they did. Um, I mean, getting, you know, having to pay for Arnold, paying for Amelia Clark, who is, you know, an, an incredibly, you know, hot property at the time. Um, you know, like <laughs> these, and you know who took all the blame was, was Alan Taylor. Uh, you know, they brought in Alan Taylor to direct it. And look, I'll admit that some of the acting, the guy they got to play Kyle Reese, not good, not good. That, that was, that was a misstep. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can see where the direction, like as in the directing, this is one of those films where I'm like, wow, the directing uninspired, you know, <laughs> just, just something was clearly lacking. Something was missing. And so the, there are, there are those things, but again, the story still set up so much and there were still so many elements about it. That, I mean, and Arnold was phenomenal in the movie. There was still so much about it. That was really, really solid. Um, yeah. It's, it's a shame they didn't keep going, you know? And, and I, I really don't know what the, what the choices were, you know, ultimately in that maybe there was just the feeling that, wow, you know, even though it did great money, the, the response you know, ultimately was, was kind of lackluster. And so they didn't have confidence in anything that they would, you know, put out going forward, any sequels or TV series or anything, but they really had big plans for this. Uh, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm really disappointed that that didn't happen, uh, because it had all the right elements. Um, and it, and it executed some of it really, really well. And again, I think setting up Sarah Connor as the real hero, uh, was the right move. Because I think for a lot of like hardcore Terminator fans, that's really always been true anyway. You know, where Linda Hamilton was always kind of the star, which is why I think they brought her back in Dark Fate because they kind of knew that. Um, and when you get into something like, say, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, well, I mean, she's right in the name. Um, and she certainly stole the show. Uh, Lena Headey, you know, that being. And this was before she did Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, she was just delivering. Which is, you know, it is kind of interesting <laughs> that, in the Terminator franchise, um, you've had two, you know, two Game of Thrones alumni play the same character, you know, both play Sarah Connor at one point. Um, maybe this did happen, but, you know, if, if they never brought Linda Hamilton in uh, to Game of Thrones, boy, did you make a misstep there? That that would have been so interesting, you know, to have like at one point, like all three Sarah Connors, you know, on screen at the same time. What a moment. But oh, well. But let's get to what everybody's really been waiting for, and that is the original trilogy, right? Where do things stack up there? I mean, I think a lot of people can have differing ideas of, okay, what's better, Dark Fate, Salvation, Genesis, you know, like you can get into arguments around that. Most people probably don't even remember, uh, or no, I don't want to start saying that because that's what a lot of people say, and then I do, and I'm the one that does remember it, and I get annoyed when they say it. So maybe I shouldn't say that so much, but um Generally, I think most people don't think about T2 3D battle across time. So what people do usually think about with Terminator, really most people, I think, only think of the first two films. <laughs> that's all they want to really remember. Uh, but man, do I think that that's unfortunate. But let's get into, let's start talking about the original trilogy here. And so we're going to start our ranking with number four. It's like, wait, but there's an original trilogy. How could there be four left? Aha, we'll get to that. So with number four, I am giving that to 1984's um, The Terminator. And I mean, really, what can be said about this movie 
that hasn't already been said. Uh, it is a classic in every sense of the term. Um, easily one of the greatest movies, you know, just ever made. Uh, like I said, if, if, you know, if there's an, I, I know there's an AFI top 100, uh, really both Terminator, the first Terminator and Terminator two belong in that number, uh, in my opinion. Um, I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're groundbreaking. Um, Arnold playing the villain was a stroke of genius. Uh, James Cameron, you know, absolutely showed his chops. Uh, Linda Hamilton was both strong um, and then was surprisingly like, you know, able to look frightened at the same time. Um, but, you know, the fact like you could still believe that, oh, yeah, Sarah Connor could raise, uh, you know, a character like or, you know, Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor could raise a character like John Connor. You bought it because Linda Hamilton, you know, just underneath, I mean, however they wanted to dress her in this movie underneath, you knew she was a badass, right? And all you had to do was watch, you know, go watch black moon rising, uh, after the fact to see how badass she could be, you know, next to say Tommy Lee Jones in that film, Michael Bean, you know, I mean, as Kyle Reese totally delivered in my opinion, uh, you felt like he was just a really desperate guy who was ultimately very scared. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, having, I mean, the, 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 chemistry between Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton was phenomenal in this film because like her optimistic strength and that underlying badass that you just know is there that maybe you don't see in Terminator until Terminator two, um, you know, gives him the courage to, ex to do what he needs, you know, to do what Kyle Reese needs to do. Uh, I mean, this movie just works really, really well. And it's still, in my opinion, I mean, it plays off as just as frightening today as really it did in 84. I mean, I think if you made another movie like that, you know, today it, it wouldn't play as frightening, but they just, everything was right in this movie and it became, you know, the underground or I don't want to call it a sleeper hit. It really, you know, did great numbers very early on, but nobody was expecting this movie to be as great as it was. Um, so me putting this at number four is in no way a knock against it. There's nothing to criticize about this movie. You know, I mean, this movie is, it does everything right, uh, in my opinion. And it started the franchise, you know, and, and it's, a, it's, it's great because I don't know what James Cameron's plans were originally, you know, but it did leave room for a sequel with it really being very self-contained anyway. You know, and no one, I don't think anybody really needed a sequel to it. I don't think anybody was really even expecting a sequel, even though it does leave you with, wait, what, you know, what are the police going to find with the, the T-800, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a perfect starter to a franchise. It really is. And even though it could have also just stood on its own for decades, you know? So uh, yeah, number four is the Terminator. Again, it's not a knock because it's just, it's overall a perfect movie, um, which really makes 1992's Terminator two that much more of the miracle because how do you really follow that up? You know, <laughs> like how do you, how do you take that to the next level? And Holy hell did they ever, um, Terminator two. I mean, for this is in our number three, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Terminator two the, you know, the spot above the original Terminator. 
Uh, this movie really did take everything to the next level. You got to see, I mean, at the time, seeing the action in the future, you know, in like 2029 or, you know, whatever was, was, was amazing. Like, I mean, it was, yeah, it was depressing at the time, but that look with the lasers firing, you know, and driving around in that, uh, Toyota, you know, I don't think it was a Hilux, but it looked like one, um, man, (laughs) the hunter killers, everything about it was like, wow, what the fuck is this that I'm seeing? And it's a movie with really deep philosophical messages. I mean, there's so much you can pull from this movie. Uh, and it's a movie, I think that also, you know, cause I mean, there is, there are like three different versions of this film and every one of them plays great. Uh, I mean, there's, there's this theatrical version. Then there's the somewhat of a director's cut where scenes are added. And that was originally done for like a VHS release and ended up, you know, being a major part of the DVD release. Uh, I mean, to speak to the power of this movie, like when, when the Terminator two DVD package came out, whatever the ultimate edition. And that was like in 2000 or 2001, somewhere around there. That was as big an event, I think as the fucking the, the theatrical uh, release, like the home video release for that, for DVD, that, that pushed a lot of DVD players had to, uh, that was an amazing, I mean, just a, the DVD itself, like the presentation was, you know, as powerful as the movie, in my opinion, like this is how you do a home video release. There is so much content uh, that was released for that. So Terminator two is great even beyond, you know, just the movie itself. It's a great movie, but then everything surrounding it so much spawned out of it. I mean, this is like the, the only movie I can really compare it to is like the empire strikes back as far as it, its power, like James Cameron's attention to detail and that internal consistency and all, I, everything worked, everything worked. You know, I mean, this is a movie you could watch making specials on it for like the rest of time, you know, just like star Wars films, uh, man, what, what a film and, you know, a tearjerker as well, which is impressive, right. To, to really be able to, to, to make you cry. Uh, you know, in, in an action film and, you know, kudos to developing a villain here because the T 1000 was so scary. Why? Because he could be anything or anyone, right? I mean, how many of us still get creeped out when, uh, John's, um, you know, foster parent, foster mother, whatever, you know, runs the blade through, through the foster dad, uh, while he's just grabbing a carton of milk. I mean, Holy shit. You know, <laughs> like terrifying. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a perfect movie. Absolutely perfect. Uh, and, and it's the scope of what came out of it really speaks to two things. One, I think probably why it's ultimately better than the Terminator. Um, I mean, this is a big budget production. This is not like, you know, a, a little indie auteur film that some may want to consider the original Terminator to be. Uh, and you know, you get certain people who are into that, that kind of thing, like that kind of guerrilla filmmaking that like the Terminator a lot better, even though it's, it's not exactly that, but Terminator two, man, <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's just, it's one of those movies. It's like Jurassic park, or like I said, the empire strikes back where it's just a powerhouse. Um, and really, you know, it easily should outside of personal taste, it should sit at number one. Um, of any Terminator list. 
you know, and, and there really shouldn't be any debate around it. And I, and I really get that. Okay. So I would never argue with somebody necessarily about this. However, it is at number three (laughs) on my list. So let's get to number two. Number two is Terminator three from 2003. Uh, Another incredibly expensive film, uh, a movie that I can, you know, constant, I I mean, you know, I used to go to theaters all the time and the trailer, all the trailer was, was Brad Feidel's music. And then like this laser cutting of the number three out of the letter T. That's all that the, that's all the teaser trailer was. It didn't need anything else, (laughs) (laughs) but really that speaks to how great Terminator two was not how great Terminator three was. Right. But it's just amazing to consider that like you're making a movie where the only thing you have to do to preview it is just say Terminator three and just everybody in the theater shits their pants. Right. (laughs) But then can you deliver on that hype? Probably not. Right. Um, This is a scenario I think with Terminator three where it's, it's like, you know, to get, it's amazing, you know, okay. I'm amazed at how much I'm comparing Terminator and star Wars uh, here, you know, throughout this, this episode, but it wasn't planned. It's just, it's how it's happening because I think this suffers from the episode one syndrome. Okay. Where in my opinion, episode one minus Jar Jar Binks is a great movie. Okay. And even with Jar Jar, it's still fine. Uh, and, and, and that, you know, the Jar Jar elements have really, you know, only now 20 years or however many years, 20 some odd years later have really come to where, oh no. Yeah. Like now there's appreciation for that. That said, I really like episode one. Um, I, I mean, it sits very high in my ranking of star Wars films, but nothing could live up to the hype, right? You went so long without star Wars movies. How, how do you follow up Return of the Jedi, you know, without Luke Skywalker involved? And so episode one, you know, like it, it couldn't, it couldn't deliver on that. And I think Terminator three is the same situation. There was no way to deliver on, uh, in my opinion, on, you know, following up with Terminator two, like you, you just couldn't do it, you know? And, in fact, I think this is an area where like, say the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which was a TV series that took place directly after the events of Terminator two, uh, or more or less, this is where like Terminator two was such a juggernaut. You essentially to follow that up. The only thing you could do was a TV series, right? The only thing you, you, you had to have that much story to follow up on what Terminator two delivered because it was a perfect movie. The other option you could do is defy expectations, right? Make it something just so balls different from Terminator two that it might not have to live up to those expectations or like you couldn't put those expectations on them. The problem is I think that that's the direction that they went, but people still, you know, lobbed those expectations that holy shit, you know, this has got to be bigger than Terminator two. And it didn't happen. And I think it didn't happen for varying reasons. Um, of course, Arnold was there. Uh, in fact, Arnold, like he was the highest paid actor at the time he got paid 30 million just to be in Terminator three. Um, the workout routine he went through to look like he did. I mean, he was already in his fifties at the time, but to look like he did in Terminator two was insane and amazing. Kudos to Arnold. 
that wasn't CGI on Arnold folks. That was, again, this is before, you know, I mean, CGI was still becoming dominant, but this is before it made anything possible in films. Uh, so Arnold had to do it the old fashioned way and he had to do whatever he could to make himself look that fucking young. And man, I do. I think he really pulled it off. Um, so I think that worked. Uh, Claire Danes, you know, as, as Catherine Brewster and getting into, well, you know, John Connor probably has a wife. I think that was a winning formula like that. That was cool to bring her in and in some ways make her even more of the hero than say John Connor in the movie. Um, Nick Stahl, look, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm just saying he's not John Connor. Uh, there, there seems to be this idea in the Terminator franchise to make John Connor look like kind of like an everyman. I, I can sort of get why you'd want to do that. The problem is, is that's not what James Cameron did. When you see John Connor, you know, older John Connor in Terminator 2, the guy looks fucking tough as nails and like he could take on anything. The John Connor we get after that never looks, never fits that bill. He never looks right. And I think that they're trying to go with, okay, let's make John Connor look like the everyman. That way, you know, everybody can kind of, I mean, like there, there's, there's an impressive kind of like the or narrative theme that you could run with that. Yeah. John Connor is all of us. Right. And so he is the every person, but the way that the character is built up with such mythological status, I think kind of screws with that narrative being possible. So using a Christian Bale, using a Nick Stahl, using a, it was a Jai Courtney or whoever played him in Genesis, not the best choice. Like you, you needed somebody who, in my opinion, like matched up to Arnold as much as possible while, you know, playing on some human frailty and, and some human empathy not really frailty. I want to say empathy. And I don't think that that's a frailty, but that, I think that's kind of the biggest problem with this film. And I think there were expectations to like, see a grown up John Connor and for him to be a badass, And he's not again, the movie did try to defy expectations. And I could understand kind of the message. Maybe they're trying to run through of, you know, John Connor being the everyman. But I think that was a bit of a misstep with this movie, but that's the only misstep with this movie. I think that the, um, the villain, in the film. I mean, we're still dealing with Skynet here. Uh, I think the villain that being Kristana Locken, um, you know, before she went on to do, uh, painkiller Jane on the sci-fi channel, right? That was an awesome uh, show. Um, she was a fantastic choice as the TX or the Terminatrix as you know, she was kind of called, uh, or, you know, was the, the, the coin term going around. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like bringing in a female Terminator, which is great because it allowed, you know, speaking conventionally of the, shall we say the, the man, woman, you know, gender paradigm, the conventional, okay. Conventional gender roles playing on that. Cause I'm not saying that that's good or right. I'm just saying that they're conventional and they played on it. The conventional gender roles that they played off of were basically the, the, the TX could be stealthy, not in the way that the T1000 could be, but stealthy in that as a woman, she could, Kind of, you know, again, conventional generals nullify, um, you know, the, 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 the alarm, the mental alarms in the, you know, the, the men of the world of 2003, uh, I, I thought was like that, that was, that was a great setup for a villain. Um, and even, I mean, like you see it at the point where like 
the, the police officer pulls her over um, and she enlarges her, bu- she enlarges her, you know, her, her bus size, right? Like, like she makes her, her breast bigger um, before the cop walks up. I mean, lots of these, like th- those were very, very interesting ideas uh, to play off. I don't mean increasing, you know, her boobs. I mean, you know, like just having her, her be like this sly female character that could just kind of slip under the radar. Because, you know, you think back to like 1984, right? So you bring Arnold in and the natural reaction to somebody in, in 1984 is, whoa, big guy, that's scary. That's where the natural reaction to Kristana Locken would be, eh, hmm, you know, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you'd almost be trusting or you don't, you know, you just kind of let her walk by, whatever. And so it, it was it was a brilliant move for a villain. But it, she wasn't just a villain. I mean, you still had Skynet and you got to see the birth of Skynet. And it was birthed in a way that I think makes a ton of sense, that it was something that just happened in the cloud. There was no central, uh, uh, you know, central node for for Skynet. There was nothing to like blow up or shut down. It was something that just naturally outcropped of the amount of data that was being sent all over the internet. And for this to come out in 2003, which is the year that on sovereign tech, I normally say is when the internet finally became the thing that people, you know, think of it now. And when the critical mass kind of got online, as it were, uh, it's perfect timing for this movie to come out and its messages are perfect timings and its warnings, I think are perfect or came out at a perfect time. Unfortunately, Clearly a lot of people didn't buy it and didn't, you know, didn't, didn't listen uh, to what was going on. I did, but I think this film is such a winner. Uh, Marco Beltrami's score was great. Um, overall, the acting was good overall again, minus Nick Stahl. Uh, Nick Stahl looked like shit as future John Connor too. Like that, that just looked weird. I mean, he almost looked like a Nazi. It was really, that was a, that was a mistake. And, and I know what you're saying. You're just like, wait a minute. You know, if, if Terminator 2 is a perfect movie, how could this movie rank higher? I'll explain a little bit uh, in, in a second. But the direction, Jonathan Mostow, I, I think he's awesome. Like U571, surrogates. I mean, he's he's done, you know, really great pieces. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think he delivered. Um, I think John Brancato's writing was totally on point. So much, and, and the action sequences in this, you know, were at, t- at the time were still pretty mind-blowing. Like, holy fuck, look at what just happened. Um, that was really cool. They even kind of played on a little bit of bullet time, you know, with, with the matrix being the, the, the monster that it was at the time. Um, and it was funny. I mean, there was like really funny moments. Arnold delivered on the humor and, and really, I think he started, I mean, there's funny moments in Terminator two, but this is what started on the idea of Arnold's Terminator being funny. Um, and it, it worked in this. So I ultimately, I'd say the only real failing in this movie was uh, Nick Stull. Like he's, and, and as he is kind of the main character minus Arnold, you know, um, I think that really hurt the movie. I don't think it, again, I don't think there's anything they could do to make it like bigger than Terminator two at the time. Um, but Nick Stull definitely hurt this film. That said, uh, I think the message that it gives and like the, the very natural progression of the themes, the narrative themes of the Terminator franchise came to full fruition here. You know, like the idea that when we were talking about this earlier in the episode, the idea that you're not actually going to stop judgment day, you might delay it here and there, but your real mission or, you know, you're like the real, the only thing you really can do 
is survive it because, and, and, and I think that's an important thing to bring up because otherwise it turns John Connor into, or it creates this notion without Terminator three, there is this idea that the future depends completely on one person when there's nothing realistic about that whatsoever. And you can say, well, these are movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but part of what makes the Terminator movies so endearing and, and gives them longevity is that they are so possible, right? They're not star Wars. They're not, you know, go down the list of other science fiction franchises. These, the Terminator films are the ones that fuck that's possible. You know I mean? You could say the time traveling, maybe not so much, but now we know actually that that sort of is possible with enough energy. I mean, one of the biggest powerful things about, uh, or, or yeah, one of the most powerful elements I should say of Terminator is that all of this feels so possible seems so, you know, like, wow, this is really how it could go. And so when I say that, you know, making everything hinge on the life of one person uh, is unrealistic, I think that's fair to say in the case of the Terminator franchise that bringing in an unrealistic factor uh, hurts the movies overall. So Terminator 3, I think, went to a necessary direction and it continued the narrative of destiny in the necessary, in a necessary progression, right? Like, like this is where it has to go. Unfortunately, Terminator Salvation kind of, you know, <laughs> took a shit on that. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't really hurt Terminator three at all. And I think that message of, you know, you're not going to stop judgment day. You just, you know, the important thing is that you survive it is a powerful message to get out there. You know, because it's saying you don't have to become the terrorist like the rebels do in, in star Wars, right? You don't have to join the empire either. You know, there, there is the possibility of just surviving. Um, even Catherine Brewster like exercises choice at the end when she says, you know, John, we could just, we could just let the nukes blow us up, you know, and just, just end it. And just like, cause you know, maybe we don't want to live in this future, but John chooses to survive. Um, now, I mean, he, he does, it is implied that he's going to kind of start the resistance, but I don't, again, I think there's different ways you could have, you could have gone with that. And it did leave somewhat of an open road. Um, and maybe the best open road would have been to, yeah, for humanity to, you know, go underground, right. Do like a, a, a war of the worlds kind of scenario where, yeah, we'll build this amazing thing underground and, you know, eventually whatever, you know, over time, either Skynet will eat itself um, or, you know, we'll get to a point where Skynet doesn't matter. And, you know, again, that wouldn't have made an exciting movie, but I wouldn't have minded seeing a novel like that. And really, you know, here's the other thing too, is that with Sarah Connor being, I, I dare say like the, the really important character of the franchise, she gets, even though you don't get to see Linda Hamilton in the movie, she actually gets a fantastic ending, right? Like a very, a brilliantly written, uh, 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 ending and death in the movie. You find out that what was it? She died from like leukemia or something like, like she died from a sickness that is attributed to nuclear weapons, even though she lived long enough to make sure that judgment day didn't happen. So it's very bittersweet, right? That, Ironically, she dies from the cause of, you know, nuclear fallout or, or from an after effect of nuclear fallout. I mean, that's not the only way to get you know, leukemia or whatever, but you get what I'm saying. 
And, and then to like have her live long enough to see that, that the original judgment day of August, you know, 29th, 1997 didn't happen. Oh, I think that's really, that's, I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's beautiful at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and it's a great way to close out that character. So Terminator three, I, I think works. I think it is, it is where the series should have gone. And I think it made a lot of ballsy moves in I think it's still somewhat optimistic, even though it could be seen as a downer, you know, at the end, everything's about perspective. Uh, but <laughs> no comment on that. <laughs> um, but you know, it, like it had a lot of guts to go in directions that I don't think anybody expected. And, and that's really the only thing that movie could do after Terminator two. Uh, you know, that's the only thing a Terminator two sequel really could do, could do though. So there's my number two. So what the hell could be number one? Well, this is for many, the real sequel to Terminator two. Um, and, and it does negate the events of Terminator three. And I wouldn't argue much against anybody who, who says that, Oh, I like this way better than Terminator three. Obviously even myself who loves Terminator three. And I mean, I love that movie. I'm putting it ahead of it because this was just, this was so well done. We are talking about something we've brought up many times throughout this whole episode, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. This series, which unfortunately didn't get to really close out. It only went two seasons. Um, you know, it'd be a shame. I'd love it if somebody could even like do a comic book series to end it, uh, or a novelization, you know, give us some closure. Uh, Josh Friedman made it who now Josh Friedman, I mean, works with, uh, James Cameron, uh, all the time. In fact, I know he's working with uh, James Cameron on the Avatar sequels. Uh, but I mean, he put together a, a mini masterpiece uh, with this series. Um, it built off of Terminator 2. It continued the the lore. Um, you got to see an alternative to how Skynet gets created in a way where we were much more mature with our understanding of networks and computers in general, I think, or most people were more mature. And so you could explore that a lot more with the development of AI and so on. Um, you know, that, that the series was covering and boy, did, uh, uh, Shirley Manson from garbage. Shirley Manson did a, did a dynamite job of being a villainous character, uh, you know, in, in this series. And, you know, I, I think in, in ways, in her own ways, went toe to toe with Lena Headey's brilliant performance of, Sarah Connor herself. Um, Summer Glau, uh, of course, coming off of Firefly would be in this. Um, she did a, a great job as being a very oddball, you know, uh, female Terminator, which I think, okay, if you're going to ignore Terminator three, bringing in another female Terminator character was a smart move, right? Because that was, you know, a, a the idea of a female Terminator was smart in and of itself. But in this case, taking the extreme sense of where Summer Glau looks completely innocuous. Like she looks completely harmless, you know, but then you find out, well, that's really not the truth. I mean, you know, for, for television, like the effects really aren't perfect in this show. Um, but the, the drama, like the constant hook of there could be a Terminator right around the corner or Skynet is getting developed right as we, you know, as we speak, um, all of these things bringing back. And of course, you know, Brian Austin green coming in, you know, and, and bringing him as a, character from the future, uh, you know, human character, like just all these different elements 
were, you know, came together so well with Sarah Connor Chronicles. But the thing that impressed me the most was that in 2008, 2009, even though the show takes place in 2007 due to a time jump, um, it, it did such a great job of telling you like real ways to survive a more, you know, technologically uh, entrenched 2007 as compared to the era of, of Terminator two, how to survive, you know, a, a, a villain that being Skynet and its terminators, how to, you know, how to survive against villains who can take advantage of all of this technology. How do you even, I mean, and I've brought this, uh, this case up a million times. How do you answer the phone, right? You answer the phone with a code word to make sure, you know, that, um, you know, the person on the other side is the right person. I mean, there's just, there's lots of little things that they showed on this that were, that are like real guerrilla tactics, real espionage tactics that I feel like you'd never see in the more glamorous, uh, you know, like espionage styled shows or movies like say James Bond and some others. Uh, they got, they got gritty in this. And I mean, I got to applaud them for how gritty, um, that, that, that they were getting. And I mean, there's other dramatic things like there's the looming, you know, the leukemia thing comes in again with Sarah Connor where, you know, that, that the potential for that is growing. What is the mystery around Summer Glau's character, um, you know, and, and training John Connor still, I mean, like there's just a lot going on, especially in season one, season two, not as good as season one, but they were going to go to interesting places in my opinion. And it's a pity that this, I mean, this, the series I think was essentially canceled, not because it wasn't popular, just like Firefly. I don't know. Maybe Summer Glau is like some kind of jinx. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it's not that the series wasn't popular. I think it was Fox didn't have confidence in it with, you know, Terminator Salvation coming out in theaters because there was such a big marketing machine around that. And I think that's ultimately what happened. Um, I like to imagine a future, you know, and, and I don't know if I need to like go back into time to make this happen. But <laughs> I like to imagine a future where Sarah Chronicle, Sarah Connor Chronicles continued and we had a great series and that Lena Headey was so fucking busy that she never got to make Game of Thrones and that Game of Thrones never became a thing. I wish that that alternate history that like a Terminator would go back in time and somehow make that happen. Um, but that's not the world that we live in today. You know, I mean, the world would be a better place and, and really like I, I, I'm being kind of funny. You know, you can laugh at what I'm saying, but also at the same time, the world would be a much better place (laughs) without Game of Thrones. We are reeling. We are, uh, we are reeling and dealing. Okay. Not wheeling and dealing, reeling and dealing with the aftermath of the perceived. Well, I mean, it was generally popular, you know, amongst the populace, but we're still dealing with every streaming service, every production house, entertainment production house trying to recapture the game of Thrones magic and following beats and tones. We're still dealing with everybody trying to do the Ned Stark trick in season one, right? Where everybody's trying to do, okay, we got to do that surprise death that nobody expects. And we're getting shitty stories out of it. And we're getting shitty characters out of it. And there are times where we're getting shitty actors that just because they're in game of Thrones, Ooh boy, they need to be in our show or we're getting music that has to copy the music from, from game. Like it's so terrible game of thrones has almost killed hollywood because it's just piled on to the unoriginality and and it's done other things i mean again that's a whole conversation that we could get into 
So if Sarah Connor Chronicles continued into a season three, Game of Thrones might not have ever happened. And sure, Terminator Genesis wouldn't have happened either, likely. But that's fine with me because Sarah Connor Chronicles is the best uh, uh, content, I think, you know, pound for pound in the Terminator franchise. Yeah, it doesn't exist without Terminator 2. So, you know, again, it's Terminator 2 number one, ultimately. Sure. Okay. Like, I, I get that. But I love what Sarah Connor Chronicles put on display. That was, I mean, fuck. That's like one of the last times that I can really think of where, yeah, on network television, there was must-see TV, and that was it. It was that damn good. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, like, this is something, I don't know why this hasn't happened yet, but Sarah Connor Chronicles, for me, proves that there are a lot of sci-fi horror franchises that could do really well as, as a, as a regular series, you know, as a television series, alien should be a TV series. Predator should be a TV series. Really? Like even if it's like 13 episode seasons, that's fine, but they should be like alien would do so well as a TV series. And the fact that the Terminator franchise could do it, I think is, and, and that's why, you know, I think like when Terminator Genesis, when they're planning on doing a TV series out of that, I think they were directly looking at Sarah Connor Chronicles and saying, holy shit, that was awesome. We can do that. And they could have, they could have followed the same beats and it would have been great. Even if it was, you know, Terminator Genesis are based around Terminator Genesis instead of Terminator two. Um, but Sarah Connor Chronicles is the far more important show in my opinion that Hollywood should have paid attention to, but they didn't, they paid attention to game of Thrones and we're all losing because of that. So anyway, um, I think that can wrap this up. <laughs> We've gone over two hours talking about really the, almost the entire Terminator franchise. Again, we didn't get into the comics, novels and video games, though we could certainly get into all of those. Um, but the Terminator franchise in general, I, I wanted to spend the time with it. A, it was, you know, an idea that came out of the telegram, the sovereign tech telegram group. B it's something that is still highly relevant, perhaps even more relevant today in 20, you know, 2021, um, that than, than it was even in years past, because clearly, you know, some of the messages that exist within the Terminator franchise, some of which we've talked about, um, you know, we didn't even spend a whole ton of time on like, you know, maybe the anti-networking message, even though that's an important one too, but all these different things, nobody listened. <laughs> so maybe now, maybe, maybe in 2021, maybe they'll listen a little better. I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that the, the Hollywood artificial intelligence that writes all the scripts for like Disney and everything, uh, purposely fucked up Terminator Dark Fate, but I don't know. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just having fun with you. Really? I'm, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm really kidding. I wonder if they, like, you know, it'd be really weird if this episode couldn't upload. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough. That's it. I'm done. It's over two hours. We got to stop. Um, yeah. One of the best franchises ever. Uh, really. I mean, that, that, that's what there is to say about it. Again, just as important, if not more important today than it was in throughout its, uh, you know, general tenure, general run, um, go ahead and like in dark fate. Yeah. Toss your, toss your smartphone in a bag of potato chips, if not into a lake of fire. And, uh, well, that'll wrap this one. And I more sovereign tech to come. I will see all of you on the other side.